What if Dark Ricky becomes Phantom of the Opera-esque and has a following of preteen girls? Oh, <laughs> Wouldn't that oh be God. the most? You will single-handedly bring Izzy hands back from his grave because he will be rolling in it so hard that he's going to come back to life. But then we but have then a 12-year-old girl who becomes his, his Lucius. Welcome back. Well, I've lost track of how long our flag means death has been in the gravy basket. I feel like we're all sort of standing on that cliff waiting for the rock to be kicked over the edge. So let's do a little survey of our co-hosts. You guys, on a scale of one to 10, how hopeful are you? One being like, no hope at all. It's over. Give up. 10 being like, season three is guaranteed. No doubts. What do you guys say? 11. Love to hear that. <laughs> positivity and optimism so an 11 from amanda lee uh i'd say i'm at like a like a nine like an eight or a nine i'm feeling very hopeful i've heard some things that have made me very uh i, I feel very encouraged but also not over till it's over eight or nine from kate awesome and lacy lacy's a five so like <laughs> 50 50 you are valid i'm just trying to be cautious get cautious cautious yeah so 50 50 i hear that yeah, i'm don't get your hopes up too much yeah i'm a Libra, so I'm optimistic, but I can't put a number to it. I can't commit to anything. So, but I'm like, I love the optimism over on the left side of the screen. And I I also appreciate Lacey's like 50-50 uh, way of going things. So I found out, this is an exciting thing about the podcast. I found out I can see the cities where folks are listening from. So guess which city has the most people listening to the Our Flag Means Fan Fiction podcast? Oh my God, tell me is Pittsburgh. <laughs> is it? Is it really? How did you guess that? Yeah, it's Pittsburgh. <laughs> okay, okay, here I am wearing my 1992 City of Champions sweatshirt right now from the 1992 Steelers Super Bowl. Pittsburgh is the real world republic of gay pirates. Okay. Really? Like, number one, our baseball team is the Pirates. Literally, mm. Twitter handle at Pirate. They do pride games every June, like during Pride Month where they like celebrate the queer community in the Pittsburgh physical community there is me CC who ran Hoist the Ad Jen Meta Venhorse uh, who wrote The City Never Sleep Ringa Sun who is like literally friends with Con O'Neill and did the like Con oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like these are all people I met through our in-person Calypso's birthday event at a queer bar that like literally like connected me to the entire this is amazing fandom. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So like So I, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh. like the hub of the Our Flag Means Death fandom, which I we're, had no idea. We're literally the home of the Pirates who are frankly a baseball team that could use some good morale. Oh, <laughs> uh, they've like not done well in a long time. <laughs> I was just shocked there's even more listeners in Pittsburgh than in New York City or Los Angeles. I was like, "What is going on here?" Do you, do you have do you have a number? Um, Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't put it down here. Uh, okay. I have to pull it up. But um, okay, outside the US, guess what is another uh, popular city, not in the US, but globally? I have my guess, but I'm going to London, Sao Paulo, um, Edmonton, Alberta. Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but London is uh, really close as well. Okay. Any theories uh, about why? It's cold up there and people are bored. <laughs> 
I'm on a uh, on a group chat with some of the people who are putting together Well and Truly Doc, mm. um, which is going to be an event in Galveston. Um, and I, I I don't have all the details because I I know I won't where's be Galveston? Able to... Is that in Canada? No, that's in Texas. Um, but in, in the Texas. group chat, there's a bunch of people from Canada who always talk about feeling like they're all alone as fans. But you know, there are other Canadians who are in the group chat, and they're all like, "Oh, we're so alone because you know we're all in Canada, but we're you know Canada's yeah. big. There's lots of space." So they, they're not like physically close to each other. Wow. But there are, there is a huge community in Edmonton, Alberta. So you guys get, get your galoshes on and your parkas and hike <laughs> through the dark, cold winter and find each other at your local Edmonton, Alberta gay bar <laughs> where you're, you're all dressed in those little fuzzy hat, like Russian hats. I imagine this is my picture. And <laughs> I just and, imagine all of us, like first we have to like trek to Pittsburgh so that we can collect like the the majority of the crew right and then we're gonna like go to Edmonton <laughs> and we're gonna like just go on this odyssey together to like get all of the crew together like globally uh, my my uh, knowledge of Canadian geography is so bad um is Edmonton is that like on the west coast of Canada I... Alberta? I feel like I it's in the middle. Okay, okay. We have British Columbia is on the west. Quebec is on the east. So it okay. must be in the middle. I, I'm okay. pretty sure it's in the middle. Um, But this might be a good time if you feel like it, pull up a map and Google it and then describe yes. where Edmonton is. <laughs> like where it's my It is. It's there it is. Me. It's just <laughs> next to British Columbia. So it's on the left, but not all the way. It's like the Nevada of Canada. <laughs> the Nevada of Canada. <laughs> Minus the, the very cold, work. dark Nevada of Canada. I'm, yeah. so, I'm sorry, Canada, Canada if we're making totally inaccurate assumptions about what it's like in Edmonton, <laughs> Alberta. I, but I'm sure you guys are really... Wait, like, I take it back. Prostitution is legal in Canada, so it is like the Nevada of... I'm from Nevada. Ooh. I'm in Nevada. Uh, I'm in Vegas. It's, oh, like, okay. it's like Nevada yeah. with moose, I'm guessing. Yes. I'm sure that there are some other significant differences between Las Vegas. Edmonton, I'm, I'm just throwing out some like slogans for you. Uh, we have moose and whores. We have <laughs> pirates. <laughs> Join genders. our crew. <laughs> we have moose. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> Despite the lack of news it, as far as things moving forward with our Flag Means Death, uh, the fandom has been as active as ever. On Tuesday, February 13th, we had the Burbank Warner Brothers event uh, where folks came out. And this is where I met Kate, who came from Nevada for the event. Uh, Kate was dressed as Lucius, season one Lucius. I was dressed as Republic of Pirates Lucius. So we bonded over that. And Kate was like the first ever person I didn't know who I met in person who was a fan of the podcast. Ooh. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> um, How was the drive from Nevada to the Warner Brothers event? <laughs> That's the funny. Overall, yeah. the funny part of it is that my friend and I were driving together. We are like the only fans that I have met in my town in Nevada. We decided that we were going to drive together. She prepared everything. So she got 
the water. She figured out the hotel situation. She got snacks. She's the one who bought all of the materials for our signs. And we left and we are 20 miles outside of Baker and we realized that she didn't fill up on gas. So our choices were to go 10 miles up, turn around and then go 10 miles back. Oh no. Or to keep going 20 miles to Baker. And we had, we were 22 miles outside of Baker and she had 20 miles left on her gas. Oh God, she almost didn't make it. It got to a point where we were both like, wouldn't that be funny? (laughs) Do you have triple A? (laughs) Because I do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, And that is hysterical laughing. That's like Mars out there. That's like the middle middle of nowhere. And we left at like 6 p.m. So it was it was already dark by the time we were there. But we made it. We are safe. We are fine. It was a great time. But yes, the the drive was was great. And I had a great time. My my friend who came along was dressed up as uh, Blackbeard and she had like the the full beard and everything. It was great. Did you drive wearing the costumes? No, we drove out the (laughs) night before. So the event was on a Tuesday and then we got dressed up the day of. But I did get a haircut specifically for it because my hair was a little bit longer before. Commitment. However, I brought a picture and I said, I need to look like this guy. So I showed my a picture of Lucius on my phone to the, the woman. She cut my hair way too short. And she's like, yeah, in three months, it'll look just like him. Oh, <laughs> ah, no, you don't understand. Oh, well, my I needed God. this on Tuesday. So thanks for that. <laughs> I'm thanks upset. for anticipating when I would need this look to be right. Why didn't happening? you ask? My hair was long enough. You could have made, I promise it was long enough. You could have made it happen, but it's fine. I think it looked okay. I love the the videos that, um, that the other Carly made. Yeah. So our friend, actor and comedian, Natalia Reagan was there dressed up like an executive and representing Netflix, Amazon and Apple TV. <laughs> and then the other Carly, Carly made this video of all of us dressed in our uh, cosplay chasing Natalia. And then it was like a Benny Hill soundtrack (laughs) and then just like chaos. It was delightful. It was so clever and so cute. And uh, what's fascinating is on just the day before yesterday on Friday, February 23rd, uh, Warner Brothers shares hit an all-time low after they announced their earnings. Are you kidding? As I said at the beginning of the podcast, I believe Warner Brothers Studios is a vortex that has gathered all of us cosmically in order to have a cyclone of our energy just like bring the evil empire to its knees. Okay, all right. So this is the moment where I'm required, Jay. Uh, And I I didn't think I'd cop to this publicly, actually, for many points, but like I started the doc discourse trending. Oh, did <laughs> um, you? Yay! I, yeah, thinking in sort of politically strategic terms about how to get Warner Brothers to listen to us. And I was like, what do you do? You go for the money. And I had followed the GameStop trend a few years yeah. back and like watched what was happening with that. And I started doing some research. And then based on that, I made like series of maybe five or seven post solar punk pirate twitter and i shared them in the group chat you should repost this 
And then they did. And then that was like the whole like insane event that pulled me fully into the campaign was that like, you know, people, uh, memes started coming back to me with, you know, David Zaslav, you know, Blackbeard looking sad in front of a stocks chart. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm not even on TikTok, but they were on TikTok talking about it. (laughs) Oh, wow. And it was your post like about like telling people to sell their stock. Awesome. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. um, The thing that I learned during the GameStop thing is that um, people who are really into the stock market, they use these programs that analyze like all of the internet trending news for information about like what stock to buy and sell. Literally, like you can use the like mass network of the internet to make stock, like stock prices like rise and fall, basically. Mm. And at first I did that. And at first my posts were like pretty simple. I was like, say negative words and also say that you're selling your Warner Brothers stock. Mm. And then and then it got like more complex because what started happening was as all of this stuff was coming out about Zaslav and the way that he's like decimated other companies, what started trending was like the legitimate reasons why he's a bad leader of company and like why he's running mm-hmm. Warner Brothers Discovery and HBO Max into the ground. Westworld was one of my favorite shows when it came mm-hmm. out. I didn't know until the last couple of weeks that they like HBO took Westworld off the air after they canceled it and that just like that just blew my mind because that was a show that was marketed and was like extremely popular as it came out and it's just not you can't watch it because they don't want to pay the residuals exactly exactly um so kate works in finance kate is any of that true about what about like getting trending articles about warner selling warner brothers stock warner discovery stock is any of that like something that you and finance talk about or sorry i was trying to unmute yeah so i i work in finance and i work in wealth management so i i do you know talk to financial advisors about a lot of trading and over on my end of the world i'm not getting a whole lot of talk about people selling warner brothers specifically um i tend to get like the the really big like okay this sector is down this, or something like that yeah um, or there were some uh, quarterly earnings that went up uh, that were posted, people will react to those. However, um, I do pay attention. And I did notice that as of Friday at the close of market, uh, Warner Brothers was at like $8 and some change like that. Oh, yeah, my God, it was oh. an all time low. Yeah. Like- Again, um, when David Zaslav sold his he sold about a million shares the day before our mm-hmm. flag name's death was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock were at something like eleven dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, last, and I mean, yeah. going from eleven dollars down to eight dollars and change, it is a pretty significant difference. But I think the main thing to kind of take from that is people are not buying it, even though it's so mm-hmm. low. That's mm-hmm. kind of the main thing. And a lot of times, that is, I mean, buy low, sell high, right? Yeah. So yeah. you would expect and that there would be a lot more yeah. action happening. People are not expecting it to go up. People are in in the same way that um, a company has having bad news can often cause people to sell, you would expect people to react to that and buy it when it's low. But if they don't have faith in the company, then they're not going to buy it because they don't think that they're going to get a return on that investment, right? So yeah, yeah it's um, it's still pretty low. Shout out to my friend Josh, um, who uh, like he's been following a lot of the campaign, even though he's never seen the show. Like he um, somehow knew about Zaslav without knowing anything about like the campaign or the show because he just has such a like reputation for ruining companies. Yeah, there was the uh, Batgirl thing last year, the Acme versus Coyote thing this 
here. You know, it's his actions, Zaslav's actions um, ripple far beyond just our fandom and they, yeah. they affect creators on all levels. So um, do y'all know about yeah. the like Turner classic movies situation with Zaslav? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. W remind me. Cause I remember something like he like kind of like erased a bunch of, is that a, he pulled a bunch of content off the platform? There's an article out there about this. Like if you Google like Zaslav Turner classic movies, but um, I think that maybe Warner brothers acquired it or he acquired it in some way. And then um, yeah, he started either pulling stuff or threatening to pull stuff from Turner Classic Movies and the decision was actually reversed because a bunch of really famous directors like stepped in blanking right now on names but like a huge name directors like I think had like a Zoom call or something with him and like convinced him to change his mind yeah. so I think that's sort of the level of decision or like that's that's sort of the level of big name that is required to get Zaslav to like change his mind on anything. And it definitely shows he has no, cons he does doesn't care about art. So if you are a filmmaker who's really good, why would you let your projects go to Warner Brothers Discovery if you right. know that there is a chance that your project could cease to exist? Mm -hmm. Yep. Even after completion, yes. which I think is, you know, mm -hmm. the the hardest and, thing. And if you're you know, a good you filmmaker, you're like, I'm going to distribute this in whatever way possible so that Warner Discovery is not involved. Um, so that same week, uh, that Friday of that week, I went to Reese's show at the Bourbon Room. I went in with high expectations and all expectations were absolutely exceeded. There'd been like a bunch of times previously I tried to see Reese live and for whatever reason, the universe said, no Carly, no Carly, planes getting delayed. Uh, but this time it worked out. The tickets were bought, went, and I got to meet up with other folks from our flag Twitter, including Amy and Crystal and Kat and Lex and Mirabelle and Amber and if there were other folks there that I didn't I forgot to name I'm sorry uh, but we had such a good time it was just so amazing and as I was like sitting there watching him do his thing it just like you know it was like a spiritual experience or whatever <laughs> It was, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, like you're watching this and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a performer who has dedicated his decades of his life to this craft and who is absolutely at the top of his game. And he has this wonderful mix of just complete authenticity. Like he has, he knows who he is mm -hmm. and what his skills are. And he also, and, and this balance, I feel like is something that a lot of performers don't have. He also knows what the audience wants and he's mm -hmm. very sensitive to the audience and gives the audience what, what they want while also being a totally full, authentic person. And, you know, I've listened, I've watched videos of his shows I've I've seen interviews and you know of course listen to his podcasts and the sound effects and all that but when you're in person and he does his whole bit with the sound effects and everything you're like oh my god this is 
so good. This so is, good. And there was like, he did a little bit of improv too. And you're like, this is ridiculously good. <laughs> this is not just like, I'm a fan, whatever he does is great. I'm like, no, this is like next level. Totally. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to see him in a leading role in our flag. It's, it's wonderful to see somebody who's got that kind of comedic timing, that kind of improv, all of that, and then just allow him to be funny and to do that but as he and Taika have talked about in interviews to then also let that drop a little bit and kind of stretch his dramatic muscles as well and he, he does it so beautifully yeah uh, but we, we're gonna have a whole seed episode next time for Reese's birthday uh, and I had been thinking about getting a Reese cameo for the podcast uh, if you're listening think of things that you would maybe like to see the podcast request but also Reese took a break from cameo which got people excited like oh is he working he, he maybe just has a life and can't do it, you know <laughs> but, yes, but oh <laughs> uh so um the big fandom news then was samba posted a behind the scenes moment that didn't make it into the final cut lacy you know what i'm talking about yeah. tell us lacy what happened yeah so the BTS that Samba posted was a scene where I think it's in, it looks like it was in Spanish Jackies or in the Republic of Pirates somewhere. And he like is introducing Ed and he's like, and this is my boyfriend, Ed. And then like, do you, can I call you that? Do you like that? And Ed's like, yeah. What? He says, I actually fucking love that. And it's just, Uh, yeah, we love it. People, I freaked out. Freaked out. I blame Zaslav for the decision not to include that. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you're in in filmmaking, lots of stuff is said and there's lots of script pages and things get cut for not just for for the pacing for, you know, dramatic moments. Didn't look good. It didn't fit with the flow of the rest of the script. There's a million reasons. There's like a million reasons. I mean, obviously it is David Zaslav's fault. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everything we I don't mean, like about this season is david zaslov's fault i do yeah. love that there was a moment even if it was cut where we got to hear them refer to each other using that term because you know in the calypso's birthday episode hearing him say like oh you shit talked my friend and there's just always a part of me that's like oh like I, I take psychic damage every time I watch that episode. <laughs> and they were roommates. <laughs> and they, yeah, exactly. Um, David Jenkins has been quiet. Daddy Jenkins has been very quiet, and the only thing that I've seen him doing is, um, responding to like Samba's cast appreciation posts and like some other cast members. But it's only our flag related stuff that I've seen him interact with at all interestingly as well a few days ago con samba and errol all posted the shows a screenshot of the show's rotten Tomatoes score for some reason and we're like huh i wonder what that meant three's abound so anyone who wants to get involved and active in the community in southern california again uh we're gonna have an ayatsi rally in woodley park Uh, in Encino, Sunday, March 3rd, starting at 10 a.m. And, okay, the reason that we're having this rally is because IATSE, which is the union that represents, hey, if you love 
Gypsy Taylor. We all love Gypsy Taylor. Why? Because Gypsy Taylor is the costume designer who said, yes, I will put Reese Darby in a mermaid tail and then designed the mermaid tail and glued glitter to his body. <laughs> if you appreciate people like that, you want to support IATSE, which is the union that represents the artisans, the craftspeople, the, the crew, the behind the scenes people, the people who do the editing, the people who create the beauty and create the emotion of a scene through lighting. They are going into negotiation with the AMPTP on March 4th. So we want to show up big time on March 3rd to show the world and the AMPTP especially, the, who are the employers, we want to show them that they have all the support of the Hollywood community. Because uh, the AMPTP, they're extremely wealthy, and they're going to start this spin campaign, which is part of their union busting playbook that they have been doing for decades. And this time around, it's going to be about AI. And they're going to try to, and there's a reason why all this text to video AI stuff has just started coming out now, because the AMPTP is trying to spin this story. We can make movies without Gypsy Taylor. We can make movies without Raw Vincent because we can get AI to make the sets and the beauty and everything. But we know that's not true. So that's why it's really, really important that we show the AMPTP that we, the public, support IATSE. And so we're going to show up big time at Woodley Park in Encino. There's going to be lots of speakers. Uh, so we're going to have a good time and I will be there. And all of if anyone who has been a part of the picket lines, uh, many of your strike captains are going to be there. So it's going to be a good social industry bonding time and it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, at the SAG Awards last night, Divine Joy Randolph, who played Yvonne in David Jenkins' People of Earth, won for- I need to watch. I really need to watch. <laughs> God, People of Earth is so amazing. You, It's so full of warmth and love. And what the reason we're so excited about Yvonne, uh, the character of Yvonne, because she's the original steed- pulling the little piece of snake meat from Blackbeard's beard. Yvonne did that in People of Earth, pull, said you have something on your beard, pulled it out, right? And so the actress who played Yvonne, uh, Divine Joy Randolph, won a SAG award last night. And wow. Oh my God. So, so we love, love to support everyone in the David Jenkins, Alex Sherman, Alyssa Lane universe because we all, the boats rise together, right? Yes. And so the more famous, let's say Divine, you know, becomes like a superstar, totally deserved because she is such an amazing actress. And check out the speech that she gave at the SAG Awards. It is so inspiring. It was inspiring for me because, you know, I'm, and that's in this place where I feel like I'm constantly like, churning stuff out, throwing it against the wall. Do you want this? Do you want mm -hmm. this? Do you want this? And, you know, getting a lot of no's. She talked about how like your life can change in an instant. Uh, keep going, keep at it. And that's just a great piece of advice for anyone in the industry. And Pedro said this uh, last night at the SAG Awards too, in an interview after winning. He said, you know, he'll never catch up with all the no's. 
just mm-hmm. keep at it, keep pushing forward. Yes. And that's what I've seen so much in the Save Our Flag Means Death campaign is like, we've been able to just continually like throw things at the wall and see what sticks, especially Mm -hmm. on Twitter. And the more free you feel to do that, like the more really cool stuff you can create. Yeah. And even as when you're writing fan fiction, even if you're not pursuing industry stuff at all, just fan fiction, I've noticed like some stories I'm like, hey, this this story is really good. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't take off. But then mm-hmm. like another story, I'm like, oh, turn out this little thing, put it out there. For some reason, it's like <laughs> all of a sudden, a hundred kudos, like in the first couple uh-huh. of days, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You guys picked that you guys decided this one is the one. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's like you have no idea. It's so weird. Oh, it's just like fan fiction. Like I've been I've been talking to Jen about this a lot. And like I hope she can be here for the seed episode like fan fiction is a space that has always been like decentralized so there are no zaslavs in fan fiction we have the no gatekeepers um, right you know that like for me i've come across some works that have literally like done more to heal my own personal traumas than like you know years of therapy or whatever exactly that's like the original gathering around the campfire telling stories about the gods yep that's what we're doing as fan fiction writers and that's why capitalism will never be able to take fan fiction away from us i think fan fiction is the truest artistic expression because it really does go back to the classics really greek mythology roman mythology that was fan fiction about the gods and we are making fan fiction about like our versions of the gods which are you know the gay pirates but also you know really people who are writing in like the marvel fan fiction universe like those are the gods you know, it's so right. it's so meta. It's, it's like the so the old uh, Commedia dell'arte, where you would have mm-hmm. these stock characters, and yeah. you know, one would be like the the pretty yeah. romantic, you know, the ingenue or whatever, and you know, you get to see them in all these different situations, which I love. I personally have a whole rant that I give to people who say anything bad about fan fiction when I'm like out in the world about how fan fiction is safety. Fan fiction is a very like mm-hmm. easy way to like test out ideas, um, both as a writer, you know, it's a good way of testing that out without like Mm -hmm. necessarily being rejected by the industry. industry. Exactly. Dante's Inferno and the Divine Comedy are derivative works. Yes. Like just because it was 500 years ago doesn't mean that derivative works now, which is the umbrella under which like art, uh, fan art, fan works, fan fiction, stuff like that falls, like doesn't really mean that it's a different art form. Or a lesser art form. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It doesn't like automatically make a thing better. This whole conversation we're having right now reminds me of a concept that came up on the Temple of Geek podcast app that we recorded a couple of days ago because it's for a crowdfunded film. And it really dovetails along with the insane amount of control that hyper capitalist studios and their executives have that impacts actual good art getting to get made or not this came up a lot last year during the strikes people people who don't understand hollywood at all were complaining that like oh there's nothing original left it's like that's not because of the creatives yeah it's it's because 
It's because of the employers who are the very people that we are fighting here. We want there to be original ideas. The audience wants there to be original ideas, but the executives who are in charge of gatekeeping all, all content are saying, we're only going to allow things that are this narrow. Yeah, so, so that- bringing the audience into the creative process is something that I think is really cool about crowdfunded indie film models. And then for pure just fan creation, I feel like it's very much in that same vein. I think it's a good time to introduce you guys. Kate is here. Uh, Kate is known as Ya Filthy Nerds on Instagram, and they're a bit of a dilettante. They collect nicknames, hobbies, and fanfics. Kate is a former linguist and freelance writer living in Southern Nevada. Welcome, Kate, and tell us your story of how you found our flag means death for the first time. I've found it originally through one of my partners. Um, He had uh, heard about it and we actually had just bought our HBO Max subscription for Steven Universe and he had seen like a preview for it and encouraged me to, to give it a watch. And so I watched the first season when it first came out and it was so impactful that for our anniversary present that year, he actually got me, um, if you guys remember in season one, you know, the cup and saucer that was at Target, that was kind of, uh, it looked like the breakup robe. Like it, it had like a very similar design. He actually got that for me. Now, I liked the show and I, I really enjoyed it in the first season. And then there was something in my brain chemistry that just changed on a fundamental level when season two came out. Just that first episode, I, I got pirate rot and I haven't been able to climb my way out out of it but I'm very lucky that I've got people around me who are very encouraging they say you don't have to censor yourself you don't have to hide that this is something that you're really passionate about so I'm able to really just kind of let myself love this show to the point where I could drive out to LA on yeah. a Tuesday to to be a part of a big fan event so I've I've been really enjoying uh what the show has given me back because I used to be a writer uh, and used to do fanfic and used to you know do a lot more of these creative pursuits and and I lost it for a while and sort of watching this show has sort of brought back, you know, oh, well, what if, you know, scenarios that have kind of given me back that sense of wonder and excitement for writing that I that I had kind of lost. So isn't that it's, so it's wonderful to- how it's inspired art in so many people it's beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and amanda lee is also here amanda is a musician known as prism hour on instagram and in the our flag realm they are solar pirate and amanda how did you find the show for the first time so the person who introduced me to the show is the person is, is the partner that I spent uh, eight years with uh, Leo and Leo actually introduced me to Taika and like pretty much like 90% of the things that I'm now interested in and it's so funny how it all came about because Leo who also has like Leo has like a very minimal social media presence he showed me our flag means death like shortly before we separated as as romantic partners and it was the last show that we ever watched together um like while we were still living together it was like really healing actually to like have that be like the last thing that we shared i've been on him and shaming him because he still has 
watch season two despite um, like us being friends and in communication and like knowing how important the show is I'm like come on get on it and then like Season two actually came out towards the end of a different romantic relationship with another friend who has just started watching the show, another ex-partner. And like in both cases, it's like I, I watched the show during and after we were separating and like it helped me move through those like grief processes and like made me laugh like made me laugh and I I didn't like notice everything the first time I watched through each season so it's like I'm now I'm just now beginning my process of like rewatching and noticing new things but yeah in both cases in season one and season two like I was helped through like breakup grief um so it was like so helpful. Yeah, isn't that interesting? You were breaking up something like a marriage and that you were together for eight years as Steed was leaving his marriage. Mm-hmm. And then you broke up. Oh, with your- oh, yes. Um, I relate to Steed so hard because part of that relationship was realizing that I am like more queer than straight. And I was nice. trying to fit my relationship with Leo into a romantic mold that it wasn't meant to fit in because that's sort of what our society like allows you know Uh, like we're not allowed like technically to I mean we can marry our friends I guess but that's not really socially accepted for that reason alone as I, I realized like literally this week that as a person who is diagnosed with bipolar disorder I actually value my platonic relationship over my romantic ones because those relationships are the ones that keep me grounded they're not the ones that are dependent on like feelings of romantic love like they are there you know whether or not you are like feeling the intensity of like relationship energy or whatever um yeah like so you crave a queer platonic relationship in many ways and yes, the thing is, our capitalist society does not promote polyamory, queer platonic I mean, I relationships. I wouldn't limit that to capitalism. There's yeah. a lot of other forces, yeah. strong the heteropatriarchy, forces. the Puritans, <laughs> the Puritans, religion, so yeah. many things. Capitalist, yes. you know, white colonialism. So, so many little hands force people into hetero binary romantic sexual partnership marriages because Mm -hmm. the marriage between two people that produces children is very useful for a society that needs to create products for people to (laughs) buy workers And then to create a future of of underlings, of workers that you can exploit and then make products for them to buy while Mm. using their labor. If we were to have, you know, more polyamorous sort of situations, more recognized marriages that don't result in children, recognize queer platonic relationships. Well, that upsets the paradigm because 
what we want to do is we want to financially reward people who produce lots of children. Mm -hmm. I don't care if those children grow up in traumatized environments with people who didn't necessarily want to have children in the first place. Hi, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm uh, for listeners. I raised my hand because I was like, wait, I have to say something. Yes, and go for I, it. It's just like out of a. Uh, I, I was on a rant. Go for it. No, Kate. no. Your your rant is completely. I'm uh, on board with all of this. Um, I, I've been polyamorous for over 10 years now, so I'm completely on board with all this. I was going to say um, to sort of start to tie this into our subject of uh, Minor Prince Ricky Baines, I like uh, it. And I didn't necessarily notice how blatant it was before I started thinking about Ricky for this episode, but I very much feel like he represents a lot of those kind of binary categories you know mm -hmm. all pirates are bad all mm -hmm. pirates must be put to death you know you're you're good or you're evil and i as a colonizer am good you as a pirate are bad and you know there's a lot of ways in which his presence brought in a lot of the colonial ideas that are still present in the show but all of a sudden they are a direct it's no longer an existential threat it is a direct threat to the characters of the show yes. Um, that all of the kind of polyamorous aspects, all of these kind of yeah. queer relationships um, have to immediately deal with because steeped in pirate culture in this show is that that freedom of uh freedom of expression freedom of life freedom that of relationships we, we can we can mm -hmm. have you know we john and frenchie queer platonic relationship mm -hmm. uh, yeah we can have the whatever's going on between olu and Zhang and also archie and uh, Jim, you know, we can have all of these things that don't have clear categories and labels. Mm -hmm. And then when Ricky shows up, all of a sudden, it it does feel like a tonal shift. And I, I feel like that's part of what he represents. Yeah. yeah. Um, part, you... uh, part of my Ricky thesis dissertation is he has not really done anything worse than either Seed or Ed, we just were not given access to his full backstory. And that's why we as the viewers, like we don't immediately connect with him in the way that we connect with the main two characters, mm, because we don't understand the traumas that created his character yet. I'll, and I'll I, be interested as we talk to yeah. hear more about that, because right, like from the get, I think I disagree. Um, okay. Because well, I, I want to get into that. that. Yeah, yeah, I also, yeah. I, I, I also want to introduce Lacey because Lacey didn't get yes, an introduction yeah, yeah, yeah. before we went off into so a tangent. Lacey is the host of the Temple of Geek podcast, which everyone should go listen to. And Lacey is a regular co-host on the show. Welcome, Lacey. And I did, <laughs> I, I did want to start off with uh, asking you, what were your impressions of Ricky the first time you watched the series and and saw him introduced as a new character thank you first of all for that glowing introduction um yeah upon first meeting ricky he he gives steed energy like a lot of the stuff he does in that intro episode is absolutely season one episode one completely uh like the the steed who lacks any self-awareness and you can see mm -hmm. it on Reese's face as Steed like rolling his eyes at this stuff and realizing 
this isn't something that this dude can be talked out of. I'm just going to leave him. Um, when he's making the, the gin ricky. The fucking cocktail. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is, that is very much a steed move. Yeah. Um, but I was curious. I kind of wanted to like build off or ask about what Kate had said about Ricky representing the, the mainstream. I was curious how, Ricky's obvious desire to become a pirate fits into that paradigm for your for you for your Ricky thesis. <laughs> yeah, I love that question. Okay. I think in many ways, what happens is, I mean, the, the short answer is cultural appropriation. The longer answer is yes. people will look at the, I can only speak to the queer community, but I see a lot of uh, people looking at the queer community, seeing the way that we express ourselves, seeing the way that we dress and we act, trying mm -hmm. to find um, the pieces of that, that they can, that they can use. And it's a, it is about usage rather than, you know, what seems to come up organically, sort of in the same way. Um, but Steed I, was that way, too. Steed is a Steed tourist. was that way. Steed was a tourist, and Ricky is, too. And I think there's a really big, um, like, one of the main divides between those two characters is that Steed was a tourist who spent time, like, he learned how to listen. You know, when he, he has his whole, like, talk it through as a crew, but one of the things he gets very good at is listening. And he has these experiences, and he decides to change himself so mm. that he can be a better pirate. Whereas with Ricky, it's I should be able to have all of the power of a minor prince. Mm. And Ooh. I also want like this grand adventure. And mm -hmm. because he wanted to like maintain that, you know, he wanted people to treat him like a minor prince when he's a nobody in the Republic of Pirates. Mm. When he had kind of his first bad adventure in like piracy, he went back to his colonial life. He went back to, you know, I'm going to go to the the authority. I'm going to go to the cops and I'm going to have them take them all out. You know, not you only know? am I taking my toys and going home, I'm breaking yours. I'm breaking your toys. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And Sorry, the Carly, interesting looks like thing you about to say Steed something. is Steed did grow because he started at, as a gentleman, but then he did give up his wealth. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I think that that so for me that was kind of the wealth was part of the key piece in the difference between their experiences but the real the real distinction for me it was in access to community because um steed was able to hire a crew he was able to build a boat and hire a crew and so he went into the republic of pirates and the whole <laughs> situation as the gentleman pirate, like with a team of people who were literally hired to back him up. And even though they thought about mutiny for a second, they ended up being on his side. Ricky went out on his own. He attempted to find community, but immediately experienced a traumatic event at Jackie's, did not have a crew to lean on for support to process that experience. Experience. So Steed was able to integrate his trauma with the help of community and Ricky was not. Yeah, I would I would definitely say one of the benefits that Steed had was having his crew that he could talk it through with. I would <laughs> yeah. also argue that, you know, in a moment of crisis, Ricky went back to kind of 
They have the ready-made crew, you know, the the col- col- colonial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went back to them. He did have a crew, and they invaded yeah. Spanish Jackies and yes. were generally awful. And and he he was never happier than he was while they were singing their songs. You know, mm, that awful so, song. Oh, yeah. The very first episode shows Steed accommodating his crew. His crew, he's his crew originally wants to mutiny. And the uh, the reason that they don't mutiny is because he reads them stories. And I think that's the difference between He's just Steed, genuinely a nicer person. Steed and Ricky is Ricky is not going to pay his crew salaries and read them stories at yeah. the end of the day yeah. and at the beginning like all throughout Steed has very uh strong father energy. Like he treats I I I have a pet theory that Steed wanted to hire a crew so that he could treat the crew as if he want, like in the way that he wanted to treat his children. You know, he wants to read them stories. He wants to make sure that they're set up to financially. He wants to take care of them. I do not see a moment with Ricky where he's acting on behalf of anyone else. He's always acting in in his own self-interest. And I'm not saying that that's like good, bad, or indifferent. I'm not like, Ricky makes a great villain. We love a good villain. (laughs) But he's, he is not looking out for his crew. Even mm. if he did have one, I, I don't. And, and we see that he does have like the, the naval officers. He's not looking out for them. He's doing it for himself. Yeah. Which is a nice segue to let's talk about Ricky's backstory. Because I do feel that anyone who clings to the colonizers, to white supremacy, to capitalism. I mean, we see this with the Trump people. <laughs> there oh, is, it's so important that all of this is happening there in 2024. <laughs> yeah, there is some trauma that drives that type of person to cling to authority, mm-hmm. the dark authority. Uh, why... What do you think Ricky's trauma is? I think it's similar to Steed's in some ways. I think literally, like, if you're familiar with, like, Carl Jung, like, Ricky is, like, Steed's shadow self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the evil Steed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. The absolute worst parts of Steed. Yes. And then, like, um, and then, you know, Ed and Izzy are the same way, except Izzy is, like, a shadow self that has been healed. And so, like, I think that's why, like, Izzy and Ricky are the ones to have the big conversation of the big like beach you know um like I think they're supposed to be like parallels in that way but one is healed and like one is not so what event do you think happened in Ricky's childhood in you know in Steed's childhood he was always taught you have to be a man you have to be tough killed the goose super traumatizing uh, for Ricky, I almost wonder if there is this case of um, gossip, of seeing, of seeing other people suffer because they did not submit to authority of, oh, if if you don't absolutely hold up the colonizer status quo, 
you will end up in in poverty in the worst sort of situation. That lesson from his father is there are some people who are better than others. This is why we've we've been put in this position of being in the peerage or or whatever sort of aristocracy Ricky is in. Could also be a coping mechanism. Oh, the reason those people are poor and suffering is because they made bad choices. In the aristocracy, we make, we're smart, we make good choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what is the what is the trauma that that I don't triggered? Think, I don't think Ricky has capital T trauma personally. You know? Like I think he just grew up a spoiled brat and was never told no and mm. didn't really necessarily have like a That's a good one too. I, I just don't think everybody has capital D capital D trauma. That is a really uh, good point. I've been thinking of it like what Aluande said, which is when you kill, you die too. I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of the rebound effect being a colonizer, being a like descendant of the Europeans that have colonized yeah. the world. Because I know from uh being bipolar and having manic episodes where I did like insane shit that hurt people. Um, the aftermath of that is that um it, like it's extremely painful for me to know that I have done that. And like it's extremely painful for Ed, you know, to know that he is like harmed the crew in the aftermath of the Kraken episode Um, like just because you know you've been harmful and maybe you deserve some sort of like punishment or time in the cat collar or whatever like that doesn't take away from the pain of like hurting people and then being separated from them basically or like having them leave you as a result. Do you think Ricky has experienced any sort of rejection in his life prior to? It seems like it and the reason I think that is because he was looking to Steed for permission to live his pirate life. That's why he started in the first place. He, like, you know, in the first episode that he is present, he is telling Steed, like, oh my god, like, I literally almost killed myself and then I found out about the gentleman pirate. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of get the sense that for people like Ricky, you can either either become baby bonnet or you can become nigel badminton mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes. Uh, yes. and i think that he probably as a child witnessed people like steed getting made fun of and decided out of these two who do i want to be do i want to be the person who gets made fun of because i like flowers whether or not he liked flowers we don't know is i don't want to be like that so instead he's going to decide to be the nigel badminton i wouldn't be surprised if we found out that ricky had these like repressed desires because in many ways in season one piracy is sort of a metaphor for like queerness so Mm -hmm. maybe ricky has some internalized homophobia or something Mm -hmm. and turning to piracy was supposed to be his freedom as well as it was steeds but he's still he's he's not ready to give into that life wholeheartedly in the way that steed was and you have to think about the way that ricky knows steed he probably imagines Steed to be 
almost a Nigel Batman type because he's he's alpha, you know. Oh wow, he who's a gentleman who became a pirate, he must be really alpha. And <laughs> but the truth is, Steed is absolutely not alpha at all. Oh my God. He imagines Steed, is a, Steed is to a be stigma. Blackbeard. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that deed you heard it here first <laughs> um oh i was just saying um or he imagines steed to be like blackbeard he imagines that steed could just leave his life of privilege and luxury behind and then become this bloodthirsty pirate um mm-hmm. because of this you know, new reputation that he gained after the after killing Ned Lowe. So we don't we don't know what he expects Steed to be, but he's definitely put Steed up on a pedestal well enough that he knows what Steed looks like. He knows for sure who this guy is, even yeah. though like there's no pictures, there's no we don't have wanted posters of Steed Bonnet. How does he know what Steed looks like? But he knows for a fact. Yeah. So questions that I have about Ricky in season three is how did he find out about Steed? How did he find Steed? And like, what was he expecting that meeting to be like? I am fascinated by the potential of Ricky as Ricky represents the evil Steed, the worst parts of Steed. My mind starts going into what can be the most chaotic things that can, that we can do with this this character what would be the absolute most unhinged place for ricky to go oh shit i love the idea of of following that thread okay we have the absolute worst steed and the absolute worst steed has now killed off the huge portion of the pirates and now Why does my head always go to, okay, what is his next wardrobe change going to be? Because maybe it's because I was a costume designer for like a large part of my life. But um, I'm like, okay, (laughs) his next costume change is going to be like as extra as Steed, but dark Steed. If Steed showed up in the Republic of Pirates wearing the white outfit, Ricky is going to show up wherever he shows up next in the most extravagant dark Darth Vader, <laughs> like, like mixture between the English Navy and Darth Vader. That is how Ricky sees himself, right? This An super executioner. extra outfit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what is his next? He, he just, he just killed off the Jedi so what is he going to do next? He's chasing that high. We know that. So he finds out the revenge is still out there. And we know the revenge is maybe going to get revenge <laughs> on Ricky. But what if Ricky's like, oh, the, the last ship is out there sailing. Well, let's go put together the Death Star of pirate ships. So Ricky, Darth Vader, English Navy outfit creates the the Death Star of English Navy ships searching for the revenge. He gets his crew together, but because he's not Steed, his crew hates him. So Mm. what is Ricky's life like with all this ambition, all this quest to do this next big thing? Um but with a crew that is paid to be there, but is like, Darth Vader's a dick, man. <laughs> I mean, we saw exactly what happened 
with that with Ned Lowe. So I'll be, I would love to see that kind of continue. Does Ricky do any navigation of, wait a minute, if I am really going to achieve my ambition, I need to figure out people a little bit because Mm -hmm. the best villain and the best conflict is the villain who learns things and who gets better. Mm -hmm. He he will become Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's an, that's an idea because he has access to the wealth. Uh Maybe he gets the technology guy on his crew and Mm -hmm the henchman who is smart and knows stuff and Mm. Ricky's henchman who is smart and knows stuff is able to put together these really advanced weapons for the time and is also able to handle Ricky and be like, you know what, Ricky, if you want to be the biggest, baddest bitch in the ocean, you got to get your crew and you need to get on the same page and Mm -hmm. here's how to do it. Oh, and now Ricky has the crew working for him, all the technology. Now we have a villain. Now mm-hmm. we have a smart villain who has access to everything. And now we have a formidable, formidable opponent for Frenchie. Um, I'm beaming this straight into Alex Sherman's brain right now. But <laughs> the thing about Elon Musk is that he really thinks that he understands humans and technology and AI but he obviously doesn't. I love the idea that maybe Ricky himself isn't the smartest villain out there, but yeah. he comes into contact with a henchman who knows mm. how to handle him. Maybe and he was re- trying to recruit Izzy for that. The more that I'm hearing you talk, mm. Carly, you oh, are shit. you're like describing like a really smart first mate who can handle the crew who can, you know, get the technology together. You know, we don't necessarily see Izzy do a lot with technology, but we do see that he knows his stuff just as well as Blackbeard ever did. And I think on some level, maybe he was hoping to have a conversation with Izzy where he could actually actively recruit him. He does say like, oh, I was going to let you live, but he doesn't go so far as to say, oh, I would have liked to hire you and have you work for me. But the Mm. more that you're describing that, I I can see how having his own Izzy would have been so would make uh, Ricky even more dangerous than he already is. And we've already seen he has access to some kind of technology, the way that he was able to like put the bombs into the clocks, the clocks were still working they were still Mm -hmm. functional Mm -hmm. and i he's got for for and as far as we know we don't have any information that anyone else had any input into that idea or that creation you know ricky as far as we know had that idea and told someone to implement it faceless nameless lackeys did it so having somebody like izzy on his side would make him even more formidable i kind of love the idea of whoever ricky gets as his first mate finds out that ricky is obsessed with israel hands who he he allegedly kills like he finds a whole library of israel hands you know those pirates <laughs> those pirate well back in the day you know they, they made these pirate books and write the stories of, of israel hands and so the new first mate decides to make himself izzy and Love that gives himself a golden peg leg dresses Ooh. like izzy but it's like 
And the way that Ricky is Darth Vader steed, this new first mate is the absolute darkest, darkest is Izzy that there is. I do have a note here um, that I wrote down that Ricky could have been a really good match for Izzy before Izzy did his healing. After, Mm. you know, if, if we went back to season one Izzy and he had met Ricky instead of uh, the other badminton twin, you know, maybe that could have been um, another pairing for Izzy that I think would have been like really, uh, you know, uh, angsty and, you know, unbalanced in all the ways that we kind of love. But I think post healing, Izzy can see right through that. I, I do see that there are some fix out there that kind of ship Izzy and Ricky, and I could definitely see it happen. There are a couple where, you know, Ricky just starts following Ricky around. Uh, I think, Carly, this is one that you had sent to us to look at. And I thought it was so cute how, like, Steed is following Ed around and then Ricky's following uh, Izzy around. And it's kind of like those two can sort of develop a relationship. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening. Um, but I think after healing, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, don't I just had the most us. unhinged idea. Tell me. <laughs> oh my God. I figured out who my first mate is in my scenario. The first mate who helps Ricky out and who becomes darkest of dark Izzy. Calico Jack is alive. <gasps> oh no. That's the only thing that makes sense. Oh shit. Oh no. Oh fuck. You're so right. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be the most unhinged uh, thing in the entire world? That would be amazing. Okay. Lacey just posted in the chat that that she needs to go, but Lacey, I need you to, before you leave, I need you to pitch one unhinged thing, whether it's a ship, whether it's a (laughs) plot line, whether it's some crazy thing that you want to see Ricky do in season three, pitch it now. You have five seconds. Oh, I want uh I wanna see Ricky uh die strangled by some mythical sea beast. <laughs> a kraken. Love it. <laughs> so Ricky goes to the gravy basket. No, he dies all the way. Okay, he and then he dies all the way. Okay, okay. But he uh, <laughs> Yeah. But he dies first and then he goes to the gravy basket and then he's killed by the Kraken. Yeah, in the gravy yeah, biscuit. I think, I think in a metaphysical realm that is the gravy basket, I think that would work. I mean, arc-wise, the way it's set up for season three, the way I see it happening is like him and the British like trying to hunt them down and then failing because this is a fantasy um, and then dying. And I like the idea of a, of a post-physical death, a metaphysical spiritual death straight to super hell. Right to super hell him, like getting uh pulled down under by like a siren song because the siren song would be about piracy so oh we yeah could... it's, it's Izzy. it's Izzy as a mermaid we could Sing get an Izzy song. mermaid <laughs> i wouldn't be mad about seeing con o'neill as a mermaid i wouldn't be mad about seeing con <laughs> o'neill in a mermaid outfit so that is definitely on our season three bingo car- card <laughs> is Con O'Neill as a mermaid at some point. <laughs> My um, twist on this idea real quick is just that um, the Kraken is real and actually kills Ricky in the physical world. And then Con O'Neill lures him to his death in the gravy basket as a mermaid. 
That's great. Write that. You guys, we're throwing out <laughs> this <is> recording. <laughs> of, of thick bunnies. Take any of this. This is all free. This is why mm -hmm. we do this podcast mm -hmm. so that we have ideas. We, we talk about them. We generate them. We pitch them and you guys can have them. Okay. Lacey, do you have to go for real or can we fuck around with you a little bit more? Five minutes. We should talk about what we love about Errol Shan's performance. And that oh, he's just yeah. such a little shit. I love a little shit. The patheticness. He is—it's is, the voice. The yeah, voice. His voice is so satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, and he's a Kiwi too. I think he's a character in in a way that seems a little bit more open at the beginning, and then he gets progressively closed, uh, mm -hmm. as which is very much different than say Taika. With, with Blackbeard and Ed, you know, for the first time we see Blackbeard very closed off. And then the progression of the series, he gets more and more open. One of the things that when I think about Ricky immediately comes to mind is the way that he kind of does his little twirl spin when he's about to make the gin Ricky. And, you know, just kind of the way that he's moving feels very... Mm -hmm. um, like flowy and almost gentle. Mm. And even though the character's choices and I'd say like his facial expressions get very hard, his physicality remains quite soft. I'm even thinking um, after he loses his nose, he's talking to Zhang and he's like, oh, and you're going to stop all of that. And he's still kind of got these very like flowy hands. And I've uh, seen some of the other roles that he's been in. And it's certainly a... Uh, uh, an intentional choice because I've seen him in roles where he's much more of kind of a an alpha male like holding guns and being a man's man and a <laughs> dude's dude and he's much more delicate um yeah he's 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 fragile you know oh my god that made made me think about like autistic masking Mm, that's that's an interesting case it could also be the physical embodiment of fragile masculinity mm. um, especially the nose being porcelain that he receives i mean that's a perfect especially with zhang being so aware of masculinity and the implications of masculinity that she's giving him a porcelain nose you talking about that reminded me of a note that i had made which was i one of the things that i'm looking forward to in season three with ricky is the different noses that we're going to see him have <sighs> different noses and i i'm so excited because i'm remembering i don't know if you guys have seen the show the magicians but in the magicians there is a character who loses an eye and that character gets to have um all of these really beautiful eye patches and they change almost with every scene and they're beautiful and very intricate. And I would love to see that same uh, care and attention paid to uh, a series of corresponding noses that go with his various outfits. Cause like you said, Carly, you know, the idea of him kind of walking in with these, very season one steed like outfits and then having a, a matching accessory with his nose would be so much fun oh my gosh the places that we could go with that nose oh my god um so my very first fandom that i participated in and like read fan fiction of on fanfiction.net was the phantom of the opera mm -hmm. uh, the 2004 movie 
Yeah. Um, which I was just like insanely intensely drawn to. Um, well, it's really interesting how, because when I was 12 to 13, uh, Phantom of the Opera came out on Broadway. And that was, I played the soundtrack constantly. Uh, I was obsessed with Phantom. There is something about 12 to 13 year old girls who are obsessed <laughs> with, with Phantom of the Opera. And it <laughs> I know what it to is. be studied. <laughs> no, I know what it is. I know what it is. And it's, this is spicy category. All family members tune out for a second. Um, like Phantom of the Opera was my first exposure to like basically a dom-sub relationship. For me, it was com- it was purely aesthetic. Darkness. I'm like, ooh, yeah, I think there's aesthetic. something very attractive about. And I think things. as a teenager, like going into your preteens, you're like, ooh, darkness, dark aesthetic, ooh, gothic, mm-hmm. ooh, the music, music of the night, the longing. I want to save him. Like he's so dark and broody. He's so misunderstood just he's, like I am as yes. a teenage girl. And I understand him better than anybody. Yes, 100%. Fucking, like, the fucking ebony, darkness, dementia, raven way in us all. Mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. also makes me wonder which would be really cool. And I think I'm going to write this fic, but also you guys can steal it because that's how this works on this podcast. What if dark Ricky becomes Phantom of the Opera-esque and has a following of preteen girls who are like, Oh my God. Pirate hunter, the phantom pirate hunter. He's so cool with his dark ship and his dark aesthetic. And we're going to make songs about the pirate hunter, Ricky Baines. Oh, Ricky Baines. 12-year-old oh girls love him. Whereas I'm telling you right now like, that if you write that, you will single-handedly bring Izzy hands back from his grave because he will be rolling in it so hard that he's going to come back to life. We really <laughs> do need more 12 year old girls in the Our Flag Means Death universe. I and I feel like Ricky will bring those 12 year old girls. Well, there is so much to unpack that could be, there. It could be his, um, like, I, I like the idea. His of version him. of Lucius. I was going to mm. say his, his like first mate. But we have to make it really no, clear that no, we're like, going to make Calico Jack the first mate, who's going to okay, be Calico the Jack is the first Izzy. mate. But then we but have then a twelve-year-old if- girl who becomes his his Lucius. Okay. David Jenk- David Jenkins is one of the only people in the world I would trust to depict a kind of abusive, like power dynamic relationship between like an older man and a preteen girl and actually do it well. Yeah, yeah we could trust Jenkins. Jenkins, yeah. Jenkins would do that. But we interrupted Kate, we interrupted Kate. I'm so sorry. Okay, so I have this whole list. The first one is, I want to see Ricky being used as the romantic competition for Steed in the same way that Jack is often used for Ed in fic where like oh he's like the uh jack is sometimes used either as an ex or as like another person who shows up in the story who creates some kind of like you know dramatic tension like oh is ed going to choose jack or is he going to choose steed and we of course know the answer but the characters don't i would love to see ricky used as that same character so is steed going to choose ed or is steed going to choose ricky because they have a lot in common yeah i thought i thought the opposite too i thought like ed is like 
attracted to Ricky for some reason because he sees similar qualities in Ricky and and Ed wants to to do the fix it like yeah or you know Steed thinks that Ed wants to do the fixing anyway like just kind of yeah uh, also, I thought that it would be absolutely hilarious if in AU fix, it's not that Ricky has lost his nose. It's just that he has uh, really bad nasal congestion and allergies all the time, <laughs> chronically. <laughs> My idea is that Jackie hates Ricky in every universe. It nice. doesn't matter which universe I- it is. Jackie immediately hates him and she should. <laughs> and she's you know- right and should say so. I found yeah. out a fact because I'm really into um, studying human behavior now. And if, and when you have anxiety, your nose cartilage actually gets more uh, blood flow and, and your nose itches. And so that's a real, really good tell in someone's lying as they touch their nose. And there's a theory that the Pinocchio myth came from that whenever, you know, Pinocchio lies, his nose grows. So I love the idea in an AU fic that Ricky is a character who every time he has a moral failing or something, or he does something evil, uh, he gets congested. He gets (laughs) like that. That's so interesting because sense of smell is the the thing that's the most strongly linked to our like memories. Mm. So now Ricky doesn't have that anymore. Now Ricky will lose his memories. Or he's got some kind of disconnect within himself, which I love. Um, I also wrote down that Ricky fancies himself a bartender, but every single drink that he makes is too complicated for his level of skill. (laughs) So I just love the idea that him making this gin Ricky, he's like, oh, it's very fancy. It's, you know, whatever aperitif he says. (laughs) Um, And every single time he makes a drink in any of the AUs, uh, it's a great idea and someone with more skill could make it and he's just not the person to do that. Um, putting this out there for Jen, because I know she's going to listen. Ricky needs to be a bartender in the city never sleeps <laughs> at the <laughs> revenge bar. <laughs> I wrote also that his crush on Steed is hilariously unrequited, but Ed doesn't know it. Mm. So Steed has no idea that Ricky's like, hitting on him with a baseball bat, you know what I mean? And Ed is just like, oh my God, you know, so jealous, so threatened. Um, Let's see. I also wrote that Jim would kill Ricky immediately, um, (laughs) especially given how Jim reacted to the, well, no, specifically to the outward racism in episode one. And let's not forget, Ricky is very racist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like he's, yeah, like he's he's so until that is resolved like mm-hmm. there's a part of me that will just he's he's not a person that I there are things about him that I can't enjoy but he's still mm-hmm. a villain but yeah Jim would immediately totally. want to kill him and um I like the idea that Roach has to resist the urge to call him the hostage all the time <laughs> <laughs> I um I only have a couple more so I'm almost done um, and all of these are open ideas. Anyone, please write these. I want to read them. Please send them to me. I'm yeah. at you filthy nerds. Anyway. And a, a disclaimer for everyone. Everything said on this podcast is completely free uh, throughout this whole podcast forever and all time. Uh, free to steal. Yes. In- yes. In- including the podcast or not. This also applies to you, Alex Sherman and yeah. other readers. <laughs> 
Yes, and David Jenkins, uh, steal all our the ideas, please. This is our please verbal yep. consent recorded. <laughs> yes. Um. So I thought it would be really funny if Ricky feels this like kindred sense with Lucius, but Lucius is like viciously mean to him, and is just like like using his um his like sassy gay affect to his best ability just to like tear Ricky down, which I, I love. Yeah. Cause, so cause Ricky's like, Oh, you're delicate like me too. And Lucius mm-hmm. is like, I caught rats with my teeth guy. <laughs> Get out. I <laughs> cut my own finger off. You, you know what I mean? I'm going out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, no, that's exactly some it. ideas. I'm going to have to like yes. walk around and, <laughs> and say some Lucius things in my head for a little while. And cause I, I can, I can see Lucius saying some, some things. Yeah. 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 But weirdly black Pete gets along with Ricky, Ricky really, well. really, really well until oh. Ricky insults some of the POC on the boat, because I know for a fact mm. that he's going to do it. Yeah. Like he's going to say something about like from episode one of season one, um Frenchie Olu and Roach don't talk to Ricky and Olu just rolls his eyes a lot every time he speaks the things that um I found about him there were very few that actually dealt with Ricky like as a threat there were there were only one or two and I'm really excited to like finish reading them because some of them are epics you know they're mm-hmm. 300,000 words that I have to really set some time <laughs> aside to to read but I would love to see a little bit more of that Yes, I um I went through and read fix where Ricky was tagged as shipping with someone. Mm-hmm. And the but the one I ended up landing on is this is gonna be my fic recommendation is Princess by I believe this person's name is pronounced Xerxes. Uh, it's pr- it's spelled X-E-R-X-Z-I-E-Z. And the summary is a redeemed Ricky settles into his new life with the crew. It isn't long before he gets a nickname that gets him curious about trying something new, especially now that he's freed from crushing societal expectations and shows him the support and kindness he's longed for. And what is interesting is all the crew calls him princess and he doesn't feel like it's an insult but he's not sure and Mm. he kind of likes it and every it is very nice because it's like this idea that ricky has whatever he's 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 on good terms with everyone now Uh, and he starts experimenting with cross-dressing and steed is very supportive and helpful with uh him discovering that side of himself and it's it's lovely. It's just a nice, very short fic, and it is eighteen hundred words. And so I would say pick that up. It's enjoyable. Um, I I read that one too, and I really liked it. And um, I think like the convergence of both of your ideas, which just popped up in my brain, is like. I think the only way that Ricky can be redeemed as a character in the show is either to like suffer a blow to a head that causes like memory loss and amnesia, or if if we want to go magical realism, like be reincarnated, basically. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see a redemption arc for Ricky. 
Yeah. How, how do you, that. how do you get redeemed from being a racist colonizer? Oh, well, you welcome listen. to the arc of, welcome to the arc of my entire life and like thought process right now. Um, I, I've been literally coming down from like a manic episode where that's like been all I've been thinking about. Um, and yeah, yeah, you listen, you listen really, 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 really hard. And then you do everything you can to boost up the voices of the indigenous people that your ancestors have harmed, I think, or like that's how I so he's yeah, it would be lovely to see him spend a great deal of time in servitude to especially the POC members of the Revenge's crew and is like, guess what? I am your valet now. He works mm -hmm. in towels for a thousand years. <laughs> I, I would I would love to see how he makes amends with Jackie. Mm -hmm. Like out yes. of out of everybody, I think he yes. he harmed her in in a way that was very cruel and very intentional he knew exactly what he was doing he was trying and i would say in some ways succeeded in humiliating her mm -hmm. in a place that she had carved out for herself mm -hmm. in her go. own home so if he could make amends with jackie then i would cease to see him as a villain but until then he is I, Jackie's I, servant until the end of time. Yes. Oh, my God. Because, like, Jackie is, like, a fully, like, self-actualized, I think, like, pretty healed person. She's very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, she's very powerful. So just, like, allowing, yeah, I don't know, somehow, like, allowing himself to be in that position, I think, could be enough, maybe. I, once I saw him make amends with her, then maybe I would cease to see him the way that I currently see him. And Errol has done such an incredible job of creating a villain that I love to hate. Yeah, like I I love I love that I can hate Ricky as much as I want, kind of with not with impunity, but you know he's not a character who at this point has redeeming qualities other than Errol's inherent charisma. You yes, know? and, and I, I'm okay with that. Um, the fascinating thing about that is that, like, after following Errol pretty closely on social media, he is a huge supporter of like indigenous mm -hmm. rights in New Zealand. Do you guys have so, any other fic re recommendations you want to give? I have been reading a tree change, and I am blinking on Carol author. G. Or, no, sorry, Claire G. Claire, Claire, yeah. Oh my god, I told Jen, I'm like, the entire fandom has been holding out on me because I came into fandom as solar punk pirate, and no one told me about the fic where they're like eco-pirates who save the environment based on a, like a TV show that they watch, and I am like, oh my god, can we do the rainbow roll thing? And like literally turn the tree change fan fiction into a real TV show somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that so uh, I will discover. And so give us a little pitch of um, just like a one line pitch of what tree change is. Sorry, I cannot limit to just one line. Um, but basically, like 
Ed and Steed work together at this environmental company. That's how they meet this like company that's supposedly trying to save the environment. They end up at an ecological site where they discover something really strange is going on. Um, and at the point where I'm at in the fic, they start working together to figure out what's happening. And that's because both of them are obsessed with the show, a show within a show, tree change in that universe where they both feel identified with the respective characters that represent like Ed and Steve, like in that universe. Wonderful. So fascinating. And and it's one of the, it's one of the most popular fics that um, features Ricky as a, like a major featured character. Um, and I haven't even gotten to like where he shows up yet, but I feel like it must be interesting. Mm. And Kate, what's yours? Yeah. I started reading the long and winding road home by Joanna Bobana. And this is one of the longer ones. And Ricky isn't like a main, main, main character at the beginning, but he does become one later on. So right now, um, as of recording, it's got five out of six chapters posted and it's over 122,000 words. But I'll read the summary. It's pretty short. Steed and Ed work hard to build both their in and their relationship one project at a time. It isn't always easy, but they manage to create a happy and peaceful life for themselves nonetheless. However, things don't stay quiet for long. Ricky is still at large and is more dedicated than ever in his mission to bring about the end of piracy. After a few surprise visitors from Ed's past end up on their doorstep and the crew of the Revenge return worse for the wear, Steed and Ed jump back into the world of piracy for what they think will be one quick final adventure. Things do not go to plan. Or a story about love, community, and finally getting to go home. Awesome. Yeah. And Lee, have you read the whole thing or are you? Not the whole thing yet, but I am very excited about it. I've really loved it so far. It's one okay. of those where you get to, I, I love fix that focus on Steed and Ed naturally. And that's kind of where it starts. But then kind of the imminent threat of Ricky kind of keeps getting brought up. You get some new original characters who kind of get to describe Ricky in a different way than what the mm. characters have seen so far. That's so it, it's very, it. I'm really enjoying it. That's, that's Wow. That okay, like so my soul. <laughs> yeah. We'll wrap things up with the uh, final thing. What roles really quick would you love to see or Earl Shand in? Something uh, New Zealand specific, maybe? As um, a villain, again, as a hero, as a romantic interest, as an action figure, as a comic, as a... I think he could do any of the above, but I would love to see him actually as like a New Zealand colonizer, I think he would pull that off really, really well. Um, I was going to say I'd like to see a little bit more of his comedic timing because I think that Ricky has a lot of mannerisms that are fun and interesting and funny. And I, it would be kind of cool to see a little bit more of that because a lot of his roles tend to be a bit more serious. So yeah, he's got good comedic timing. I'd like to see more of it. I really love his voice, so I would love to hear him read some audiobooks. Yeah. And, mm. and I would love to hear his voice more. So even if he were to, like, do a podcast or do 
uh, something, something audio like, uh, let's, let's see what you do with that. You have a great voice. Like, let's, I love it. So I can put it in my ear holes and listen to it all the time. <laughs> ear, can- ear candy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What are you guys working on and where can people find you? I'm Amanda Lee everywhere in the world. Cause that's my first and middle name. <laughs> um, I am on Instagram um, and a few other places like YouTube as Prism Hour, and I will be on Spotify within the next week under that name. And within fandom spaces, I am Solar Punk Pirate, including Twitter. Um, I also just booted up my Tumblr for the first time in many years uh, to be my sort of like chill space within the fandom that's just all all fun all vibes um and i am at solarpunk dash amandarchy there um and i'm also on mastodon at solarpunk pirate at the gay pirates dot club server perfect and kate what about you I am at Ya Filthy Nerds on Instagram and Twitter and I think also on AO3. I have started working on a couple of little fix here and there because like I said, the show has really kind of brought that back for me, but nothing's published yet. So I can't wait. Yeah. Definitely. Will you let us know on Instagram when you do publish something? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. I'm so excited. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. So uh, Lacey, who was here earlier, uh, definitely check Lacey out on the Temple mm-hmm. of Geek podcast and follow this podcast, the Our Flag Means Death podcast on Instagram. And thank you guys so much for joining us. And thank you. Bye. <laughs> bye.